What up, world? Fast first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is our latest edition of Mailbag Monday, a weekly segment where we answer listener-submitted questions all episode long. If this is your first Mailbag Monday and you want to get involved in future episodes, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter, just whenever you're thinking of a question, send me a tweet. Or you can wait for Monday mornings when I send out a, a tweet soliciting your questions. You respond to that tweet, I'll get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or someone who doesn't tweet, you can email the show lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com is the address. That's lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Like I said, we do this every week. So if you're new to the show, no off-season pandemic hiatus, postseason, whatever is going to slow us down. Mailbag Monday keeps it rolling. It's a lot of fun. We do it every week. We have a jam, jam, jam-packed show this week, so I'm going to have to fly through some questions that maybe otherwise I would indulge in goofing around in, but let's just get into it. Let's let's get it started. The first question of the day comes from Jonathan from Gmail, who asks, am I crazy for thinking that the Blazers could be the second best team in the West, save injuries? Brandon Sprague at Brandon Sprague on Twitter asks, will Portland finish top three in the West? So... To answer both of your questions at the same time, I don't think you're crazy to think that the Blazers are the second best team in the West. I think you're wrong. Uh, I think the Clippers are going to be right up there again. I think the Lakers got better. More on that in a second. Uh, I, I think the Blazers have have a have a very good chance to finish top three in the West. Uh, the last time they had a roster this deep, they finished third in the West. I think they could be back there again. The West is probably more competitive than it was in the 2018-19 season, just in terms of uh, teams at the top. So I don't think it's in, I don't think it's crazy to think that the Blazers are the second best team in the West. I I don't believe that. I think they're going to finish. I'll say fourth. I say home court advantage, but fourth. Uh, but if they do end up, if they do, if they are better in the regular season to finish second or third, it wouldn't surprise me. Brandsberg also asks thoughts on the end of the Rip City report. It's a wonderful podcast hosted by my friends Joe Freeman of the Oregonian and Casey Holdall of the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, sounds like their show that's been running since. Uh, 2013 and it's really the gold standard for Blazers podcasts and one one of the great sort of two guys chatting about the NBA podcast on any topic. Uh, sounds like it's coming to an end. That's a bummer. It's really sad when people have to stop doing something they love. So if it wasn't their choice to end it, which I can't imagine it was, I feel bad that they had to end. I had to go out on someone else's terms. That's that's a real bummer. Okay, next question comes from Tavian Gatta. Gadia at Gadia Tavian on Twitter who asks, where do you think this roster stacks up talent wise when compared to other historic Blazer teams from the 70s, 90s, and maybe even 2010s? Well, I don't think this is the 1977 championship level team that had the ABA's best power forward in Maurice Lucas and uh, the league MVP in Bill Walton. I'm not I'm not sure that's exactly what we're working with here. So we're going to we're going to cross that one out. I don't think this is as deep or as good as those 90s teams. Uh, those Blazers teams in the 90s were really fantastic. I think a better comparison for these teams are the 2014-15 squad with Dame, Wes, uh, Nick Batum, 
Lamarcus and Rolo, that that crew that was that was really really good and and would have been really missed out on a chance to be fantastic in 2015. And I think the most sort of like we don't have to turn the back, clock back that far to think of like how good is this team? 2018-19 when they had when they added Cantor and they added Rodney Hood, that sort of same crew except you replace Gary Trent Jr.'s production with Seth Curry, maybe a little more reliable but on offense but not as good on defense. Uh, the wings are really like D- Derek Jones Jr. I was calling him DJJ, but I don't know if I know him well enough to give him that nickname. Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington are pretty good facsimiles for Aminu and Harkless. Uh, I don't think they have an Evan Turner type, so maybe 2018-19 was better because they had Evan Turner. But um, yeah, I think it's I think this team stacks up very favorably with those super competitive 2014-15 and 2018-19 rosters. Aaron. Riki at Rip City Rules on Twitter asks our next question. Every year after the offseason moves, I get the this is it feeling. I'm trying to catch myself this year, Mike. Burst my bubble. What will be the shortcomings of this upgraded roster? Now we're talking. Now we're getting into the core competencies of this podcast. Pessimism, baby. Uh, I think the obvious shortcomings are that maybe the wings that they added don't provide enough shooting. Robert Covington, a guy who's willing to shoot but isn't really an elite shooter. Derek Jones Jr., not much of a shooter. So then for offensive purposes, they have to go put Gary Trent Jr. in there. And he's he just got, asking him to guard guys who are 6'8" hybrid three fours you like LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard's is unfair or you put Carmel Anthony in there for his reliable offense and your defense like it was last year gets bad again uh, I think those are the limitations the other ones are are that they just don't have a ton of depth in the at the guard spot um, luckily the dude who plays point guard is the best point guard in the NBA and the guy who plays shooting guard is a pretty darn good sh- sidekick but uh, you know a twisted ankle to Gary Trent Jr. puts them in uh, a weird spot I guess Rodney Hood just plays a ton of, of two guard, but he's coming off an Achilles injury. It's um, they're a little bit light at that at at guard, but the place where they're a little bit light is also where their best players play, so it's probably not that big of a deal. Uh, I don't think this team is guaranteed to be an elite defensive group. Uh, they certainly have a chance to get much much better on that end, but I think their shortcomings are lack of shooting and maybe just like a mediocre defense. I think they're going to be awesome on offense. They have been always when Dame plays. Next question comes from Seth Allen at Seth Ball on Twitter who asks, considering the Blazers offseason, is it time for the Lakers to hit the panic button? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why do you think LeBron James added Montrez Harrell and, and Marcus Gasol and Wesley Matthews to the Clutch Sports South? Uh, he's scared. Your boy, is, he's terrified. Yeah, the Lakers are really... The Lakers won the championship. It got better. I, but when you see Derek Jones Jr., Coming up the court, all those arms and legs he's got, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much better you got. You're smashing that panic button. They're scared. They're scared down there at Staples Center. Both both tenants at Staples Center are scared of this Blazers team. Next question comes from Tam Terrius the Greek at Tam the Greek on Twitter who asks, championship or bust? I'm sorry, I just got excited. In all seriousness, is backup PG off the table now? Yeah, I talked about this in a previous podcast. If you did not listen to either of the previous two podcasts that are waiting for you in your feed, I broke down both in depth the uh, the signings like in chronological order as they happened. Hood, Cantor, Mello, Derek Jones Jr., and Harry Giles. I think Derek Jones Jr. actually came before Mello, so I messed up my chronology there. But uh, I, I talked in depth about those signings, and in those podcasts, I basically said that the Blazers are going to carry 14 dudes and probably will not sign a backup point guard because they're just very unlikely to push up against the luxury tax because that's not what they want to do. 
Uh, Neil Olshay talking to the press today basically confirmed that. He said, Anthony Simons is our backup point guard. I say, maybe. <laughs> Could be CJ McCollum. You don't know. Uh, but yeah, they're not they're not adding a veteran backup point guard. There's The minutes are there for Ant. The minutes are there for CJ. The minutes are there for Gary to play guard, to play those backup guard minutes. Um, it's not... It, it's it's not going to be uh, an established veteran PG from off the streets. Next question comes from Mike Miller at Mike2KRipCity on Twitter who asks, what would you say is the goal to call it a successful season? Two, second or third in the West, Western Conference Finals appearance, Finals appearance. So for me, I wouldn't put a too, too fine of a point on it. I would say that you want this team to be extremely competitive, so that would be one of the three top three or four seeds in the West. There's a chance that they win 58 games and, and finish like fourth because of tiebreakers and stuff. Like I think the West is going to be that good. Uh, it, they might they, the West might feast on each other a little bit, so it might end up being like a bunch of 57 win teams to 55 to 57 win teams, no 60 win teams. Um, you know, even, maybe even lower 54 wins in there. But yeah, I think. Home court advantage, you you know you want home court advantage in the playoffs. That's that has to be considered a success. Uh, so you don't have any quote unquote upsets in the first round. Uh, you know Western Conference Finals, I think would be like a pretty good goal to say like, listen, you were good, you got to where you wanted to go. But if the Blazers, uh, you know, meet one of the LA teams in the second round and play them really tough in a seven game series, I'm not going to call it an unsuccessful season. I'm going to say they played one of the best teams in the league and lost. So. Uh, I'm, it's more about how it feels at the end of the year. Even when they made the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors, they got, um, what's a nice way to say this? They got blasted right out the playoffs by a, a far superior team. Uh, you know, the end of last year kind of left a, a not the right taste in your mouth because they got blasted out of the playoffs by a far superior team. As long as they get to a point in the postseason where they're, at some point in control of their own destiny with home court advantage. And then beyond that, they don't get absolutely run off the court. I'm calling it a successful season. If they're competitive to the last game, it's a success. If you get punked by a team and you end and you start to have that feeling, damn, is this team far away from the really good teams? Then it's not a success. Then, then that bitter taste is what's going to linger. All right, let's come back in the second segment, answer more of your questions. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about built go. From the makers of Built Bar, who if you've listened to this podcast before, you know I love and respect. Well, they, you know what they're doing? They're making the best workout gel on the market. It's like five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for your body. These workout gels come in these little one-and-a-half-ounce packages. Throw it in your back pocket. Throw it in your bag. Goes with you anywhere you want. Comes with three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate mint, and chocolate coconut. And it really just helps you break through your wall. I've... I've sampled all their flavors. You know, I work a full day job before I record this podcast and I, uh, maybe I'll hit a, maybe I hit a built go to power me through this so I can tell jokes here on my podcast or maybe after my podcast, I just want to work out, grab me some built go break through that wall, be it physical or mental built go is powering me past it. How does it work? Well, it's because it combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is fast absorbing, gets into your system and it's easy on your stomach. It's loaded with good stuff to ignite your work, like beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. Like I said, it's got about 100 milligrams of caffeine, a little less than a standard cup of coffee, really gets you going and then keeps you going because it's got B6 and and a whole bunch of B12, 10,000% of your daily uh, percentage of B12 packed in there. Bill Go works for me. 
Maybe it'll work, work for you. Only one way to find out. Go to BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED. You'll get 20% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. All right. I mentioned in the previous segment that Neil Olshay spoke to the media this week. And on Wednesday's show, I'm going to play you audio from that interview and talk about what Neil said. The dude, can li- he's good at lying. He'll do some lying. But I think he, he gives kernels of truth in the, in the brief times that he speaks to the media. We'll unpack Neil's relatively rare press conference as he spoke to the media live from his office there at the practice facility in Tualatin. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Thomas Cogswell, at Thomas Cogswell on Twitter, who asks, who are the starting five heading into opening day? I answered this on a previous podcast. This is why you got to listen to all of them, or, you know, most. Give me, hit me with 80% listening. You'll already have the sweet, sweet info, Thomas. But because you're a loyal listener and a loyal question asker, and because I'm just, I'm just the kind of guy, I'll give you my prediction that I laid out for you in a previous podcast. In fact, the most recent one in your feed, Blazers going to start on opening day. Dame, CJ, Rodney Hood, Robert Covington, Yusuf Nurkic. That's my best guess for day one. Next question comes from Jesse from Gmail who asks, the Blazers went from being one of the thinnest teams for forwards, now seem to have more than enough. Mello just signed. Do you see him leaving during the season? If so, where would he go? Could you see any other forwards being traded? What would be good destination for them? What could we get back? Damn, Jesse, they just built this roster and you already want to trade them? No, I'm no. Let's watch these dudes play and then we'll talk about trades. Can we talk can we talk about trades in January? Let's talk about let's let's delay. Let's just everyone chill until January and then we'll talk about trades, okay? Carmelo Anthony literally hasn't, he literally hasn't even signed. The ink hasn't dried because he literally hasn't signed his new contract and we're already trading him. Sheesh. Dave Tedesco at Dave, at David A. Tedesco on Twitter asks, how do you expect they integrate Zach Collins back into the lineup when he returns from injury? Dallas Stamper at Dallas Stamper on Twitter asks, when Collins comes back, will he go to the starting lineup because he is Neil's pet cat or will Terry get to make the call? Seems like Covington is perfect for that position. His pet cat, a phrase that other people use, I don't know if I've ever heard that. Um, it's a it's quite an insult, Dallas. I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, so I think how Terry manages the front court is one of the really interesting wrinkles of the season, particularly because Zach Collins probably isn't going to play until middle of January. I'm going to guess MLK Day if I have to put a stamp on it. So before that, it seems relatively simple. Covington starts at power forward. Mello comes off the bench as your backup power forward. Nurk starts at five. Zach Collins backs him up. Harry Giles doesn't play. That seems simple enough, right? Uh, Blazers can go a little bit smaller, funkier with Derek Jones Jr. at the four, uh, but it seems like easier for him to get minutes at the three, even though him and Robert Covington are on the court at the same time. It doesn't really matter who's the three and the four. Kind of see the Mo Harkless, Al Farouk Aminu pairing. Aminu was almost always the quote-unquote four, but it didn't really matter who was who was what in those, in those particular pairings, even though one of them would set more screens. I guess that was the big difference. Uh, so... How how they fit Collins in there, I think, is a big question. I think he does have to play some minutes at the four in order to play, in order to get time. Like, I think that that has to be it. But I think he plays backup five, like, situationally. Um, and him and and him and Cantor kind of uh, 
split time depending on minutes. But I think that's that that becomes really tricky. When he's healthy, you have 11 dudes who play. And even if you only have uh, 10 guys who play, it means you're probably cutting out Anthony Simons. But you still have too many people in the front court to really figure it out. The Blazers don't want to play Carmelo Anthony at the three. I know they did it in the bubble, but it's because the roster was totally jacked up. He's terrible guarding wings. So it's it's really tricky. Um, I, don't, I think he comes off the bench, but how and how much he plays off the bench will really remain to be seen. Um, I don't think Terry has a mandate to play him. He might have had a mandate to play him last year by virtue of having no other good players on the team um, at that position. But I don't think um, I think this is one of those. This isn't like a Noah Vonley situation where um, he's forced to, you know, give him six minutes to begin each half for developmental reasons. This is this is a free for all. Terry will have leeway to play guys. Maybe he has to play, maybe he's has, you know, sort of some sort of gentleman's agreement to play Carmelo 20 minutes a night, but uh, I, I don't think um, there's any call from on high about who gets minutes in this particular season. Next question comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter who asks, was Neil's success in free agency due to a change in his strategy, just the right place and time just right place, right time luck or a result of success in the bubble or was it another factor? So I don't think it had anything to do with their success in the bubble. Um, Certainly Damian Lillard being good is a factor, but um, he brought back Ennis Cantor, who had already been here, Carmelo Anthony, who had already been here, Rodney Hood, who had already been here. And then he paid more money than I think um, other teams might have for uh, Derek Jones Jr. Hard to say. Um, certainly moved quickly, and there was some speculation that maybe it was a little too expensive for what DJJ has done production-wise. So I, I think this wasn't wasn't about success or, or change in strategy. might have been about change in strategy from ownership, allowing Neil to use the traded player exception um, and kind of push right up against the luxury tax. But then again, they stayed under. They're not going to add a 15th guy. They're not going to go to the luxury tax. So maybe it wasn't a change in strategy. Maybe this was just Neil being a little more aggressive, putting draft picks on the table and understanding those things. Um, he was, and, and obviously I'm, I'm counting trades in sort of the free agency season here. Maybe you're not. Um, so I think this was just, Neil was maybe slightly more aggressive than he has been putting in draft picks. And, uh, he had a, it was just a good, the Blazers had all the sort of the weapons and the guys they went for, they, they didn't strike out on, um, you know, they had the mid-level exception and the, and the traded player exception, and they were able to, to get those things done. And, and Carmelo came back for the minimum. So I, I don't think this was Neil changing up. I think this was mostly right place, right time and a roster that, um, had, had some appeal to it. So, uh, be, you know, there's there are there was space in the front court for guys to come in and, and get minutes, and, and Melo loved it here. Next question comes from Ben's from Gmail, who asks, I love the moves that Neil O'Shea has done this offseason. I'm a big fan of Terry Stotts, but he is stubborn, and he might be holding back this talented team. Would you keep Terry, or would you replace him? If so, with who? So I, the one, listen, Terry Stotts is not perfect, and uh, I think in general, Portland media gives him maybe too much credit for the success of the team. That said, that said, the one other time that that Terry Stotts has had a a team with a good bench, the Blazers finished third in the West and made the Western Conference Finals. Was he holding them back? Was he holding them back that year? I mean, dude is stubborn. Dude takes a while to adjust. He he kind of sticks with things maybe a beat longer than you would want him to, and all those things. But but 
when he's had a good roster, they've been good. They have a good roster again. There's no reason to think that he won't be good. Um, and there's no one who is currently unemployed who I'm saying is a way better coach than Terry Stotts. It's just um, he can both have limitations, have faults, and be a perfectly okay candidate, and I think that's what the situation is. Next question comes from Lel at the Blazers fan on Twitter who asks, if you could choose one player on the roster to play at their ceiling, who would have the biggest impact who would have the biggest impact? Who would it be? So I don't, I kind of don't know exactly what ceiling means. Is this like perceived ceiling or from what we've seen play at the best they possibly can at all times? If it's perceived ceiling, I'm going to go with Derek Jones Jr. Because I think his perceived ceiling is like elite three and D wing. And man, would he take the Blazers to another level if he was that. If it's ceiling that we have seen, I'm going to pick uh, Gary Trent Jr. Because for two and a half weeks in the bubble. He shot 50 some percent from three on seven attempts a game and uh, 70 games of him shooting of him making almost four threes a night would be really, really, really valuable. Next question comes from Northwest Jeff via Gmail who asks counting only games in which all the following players are available. Which second unit four five combo sees the most minutes at the end of the season? Mellow and Cantor, Mellow and Collins, Collins and Cantor. So I don't think it's Collins and Cantor. Um, I think it's a choice between the other two. And I am going to pick Mello and Collins. Now, I'm going to guess that that is the the group that plays the most pairings together. Maybe not the most total minutes. Uh, But I'm going to go Mello and Collins because Mello and Cantor is such a shitty defensive front court that I can't imagine they roll with it too, too, too often. I think Mello is going to have his minutes kind of, he's going to come in early and play next to Nurk as a better defender. And then as they, they'll, They'll move guys around to kind of hide his deficiencies on defense, something that they tried to do a little bit last year, but they just didn't have very good defenders. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show, Mailbag Monday. Still a pass for his point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listen to Locked On Blazers. Speaking of the Locked On Network, why don't you check out Locked On NBA? Tuesdays on Locked on NBA, it's East meets West. When Wes Goldberg, the Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News and the host of Locked on Warriors, and David Ramil, the host of Locked on Heat, tackle the biggest stories in the NBA coast to coast. You can subscribe to Locked on NBA podcast wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Adam at Real Mike Stand on Twitter who asks... How does Robert Covington compare to the version of Gerald Wallace we got before essentially trading him for Dame? Wallace lived up to his nickname and crashed pretty hard post-Blazers, but he was pretty good for a long time. Yeah, Gerald Wallace was good. Uh, I think the biggest difference is Wallace had some individual offense, like he would post up and the Blazers wouldn't run isos for him. He could score a little bit because he had been a high-level scorer in his previous stop, like a number one option on, on offense for the Bobcats. It's great. Gerald Wallace is the greatest Bobcat of all time. Put some respect on his name. So Covington is not that, not a lot of individual offense. Uh, he'll let it fly way more than Gerald Wallace. Like he's, this is some ways it's like, just sort of like the modern NBA, right? Like Covington doesn't uh, command touches at 17 feet in the high post, but he will launch away from, from three in a way that Gerald Wallace definitely never would. Uh, maybe just sort of the evolution of time from 2000. 11 to 2021 so yeah i think they're a little bit different uh physically i think um i think they're relatively similar they're guys who are th- who are threes who are 
who can play four really well and are physical and good defenders. Wallace, much like Covington, not an elite lockdown defender, but a solid defensive piece. Um, yeah, I think I, I hadn't thought of that comp, but I like that. I like this is Crash 2.0. Shout out Gerald Wallace, greatest Bobcat of all time. Next question comes from Lel at Blazers fan who asks, is DJJ an advanced stat guy? Derek Jones Jr. is not really an advanced stats guy. Um, he's not. He, he in fact, uh, ranked lower than Jalen Horde in ESPN's RPM ranking for small forwards. Um, he doesn't have super impressive win shares or value over replacement or PER. He's been a below average player, according to PR, every year of his career. Um, he's more, I think Derek Jones Jr. is an eye test guy, right? got really long arms he's really really athletic he's interested in defense and the idea is that you can harness those things an in, an interest in being a competitive defender and great length and really high level athleticism and turn him into a high level defensive wing i think uh, unlike a lot of signings by neil i think Derek jones jr is actually more eye testy than he is advanced stats Next question comes from Vegan Mindset Coach at Mindset Vegan on Twitter who asks, who throws DJJ the most lobs this season? Okay, Dame, is, Dame has a weakness in his game, and it is throwing lobs. He has improved significantly on defense, particularly as a one-on-one defender. Not a great team defender, but you're getting Dame's way or you challenge Dame, like kind of size him up, he's really competitive on defense. He has taken that challenge, taken the steps to be um, a competent defender. He's not an elite defender and he's not long. Like I said, he's not a great team defender because if he's off the ball, he's not uh, crazy in the passing lanes and, and, and denying things like that. But on the ball, he's competitive defensively but he's bad at throwing lobs. He's bad at it. He's bad at it. He's never been good at it. Um, it's it's a funny thing. I think Joe Freeman, my former colleague at the Oregonian, um, wrote like several years in a row, maybe just two in a row. I think it was maybe just back-to-back years. Like, this is the year that the Blazers start throwing lobs and they just they burned him both times because Dame's not good at it. So I'm, I'm going to say not Dame. I'm going to say not CJ because he's bad at passing. I'm going to say not Ant because he's not a passer. I'm going to say not Gary Trent Jr. He's not a passer. Are, are the Blazers maybe a bad passing team? Uh-oh. Um, they are. I'm, I'm, I'm just doing this process so you can work with me here. I'm going to say not Rodney Hood, not an elite passer. Not Robert Covington, not much of a playmaker. Probably not Derek Jones Jr. He's not going to throw lobs to himself. It's uh, not going to be Carmelo Anthony. That's not his elite skill set. It's not going to be... Ennis Cantor, he's not much of a passer. It's not going to be Harry Giles. He's not going to play. It's not going to be Nazir Little. He's not going to play. It's not going to be C.J. Ellaby. He's going to be wearing a suit. Um, hmm, it's Nurk. It's Nurk. Nurk by a mile. I'm going to say, listen, mark this down. It's Nurk by a mile. Nurk throws Derek Jones Jr. the most lobs on the team by at least, he'll have a plus four margin over the next closest guy. Next question comes from Petey Freakin' Normal at Bob underscore Deeger on Twitter who asks, any concerns about adding two decidedly non-shooters to the roster in DJJ and Giles? Or their defensive potential outweighs their offensive limitations? So I don't think Giles is rates as a particularly good defensive prospect. Um, he's really athletic, so maybe he can turn into one, but he's not much of a shot blocker. Uh, he's What he is is like a really good athlete who can really, really, really pass. Um but he's not going to play, so it doesn't matter that he's a non-shooter. Derek Jones Jr., I think is a it's a that's a question mark, right? Like 
Can he play the three in a lineup next to Robert Covington and the Blazers still be a really good offensive team? Uh, during the regular season, probably yes, but it's during during when they get to the playoffs and they play really good teams, can they put their best defenders on the floor and still be competent offensively? You remember the Mo Harkless and Alfred Camino days. Will teams just totally ignore Covington and Derek Jones Jr. and dare them to beat them? I mean, I think that's the concern. So yeah, I think there's I think there's concerns. Not for me, not during the regular season. Blazers have enough offense to figure it out. But when you get to the games that matter. Can they be good on offense and defense with, without needing hockey subs, as Ben Golliver once posed? Next question comes from Dame Jr.'s Burner at Rose City Blazer on Twitter, who asks, This is probably a waste of my weekly question, but I'm doing it anyway. You've been pretty critical of Whiteside, and rightfully so, for pretty much as long as I've been listening. Now that his tenure with the Blazers is likely over, can you say something that isn't sarcastic and backhanded? No, I can't. Um, listen, Hassan Whiteside was fine he was fine he was better than the alternative which would have been mo harkless and starting myers leonard at center for what 66 games or however many they played before the hiatus yeah he was better than that and his production was had some value but he was not good and he was a terrible interview and the things that I like watching are good basketball players. And then when I'm done, I like good interviews as a member of the media. And he didn't he didn't provide me with neither. He was just funny on Snapchat. But that's for y'all. So follow him on Snapchat. It's that's follow him on Snapchat. That's the nicest thing I'm gonna say. Paul at Bishop1415 on Twitter asks, You said in your last pod that you would discuss some other trades that might that they, they, being the Blazers, might still opt for, and I think it didn't happen. While I agree this looks like a full roster, excuse me, there's a qualifier there, while I agree it looks like a full Neil Olshay roster, did you have a trade scenario in mind when you said that? So I don't think I was mentioning trades. I think what I was, and I might be wrong, so if I'm wrong about this, Paul, you tweeted at me before, just tweet at me again. Um... I think what I was explaining was that if C.J. Ellaby signed a two-way contract, the Blazers would have both a roster space and cap space to add more players to the roster. And in that case, they could have added backup point guards. Um, I don't know if I had anyone specifically in mind. I know a lot of y'all were saying uh, Austin Rivers, but check where, my, check where my guy went to college and then check my guys, check Austin Rivers' most important collegiate highlight. no. No, Mike Richmond is not calling for the addition of Austin Rivers to the roster. Sheesh. So, um, but just in general, I think I was just talking about if the Blazers, um, if the Blazers didn't sign LB to a minimum deal and sign him to a two-way deal, they ended up signing him to a two-year minimum co- minimum contract. Uh, then they would have had that roster spot. And I also was saying that if they wanted to, they could add another minimum guy and kind of squeeze under the salary tax, salary ca- uh, luxury tax. But uh, they don't want to do that because they don't want to, they don't, they don't want to get too close and not be able to make a trade that would allow them to stay under. Um, they're they really don't want to pay the luxury tax. Next question comes from Douglas Hallstrom at Dougie Froth on Twitter, who asks. With no Myers or Mario, who is Stotts going to yell at? Yeah, this is it's a big one for me. Like, Terry Stotts spends a, spent a lot of his time screaming at Myers, Leonard, and Mario Hazonia over the last few seasons. Myers left. He immediately adapted to yelling at Mario. Who will he immediately adapt to yelling at? So the person has to be someone who doesn't play a lot. Um, Myers and Mario both fill under that. They have to be someone who's not like an established vet. So he's not going to scream at Carmelo Anthony. That's not on there. So I kind of think the person he's most likely to yell at 
is Derek Jones Jr. Just based on the role and age and uh, likeliness to maybe screw things up because he's new to the system. So I, I kind of think it's Derek Jones Jr. And if it's not, boy, it's going to be tough because Terry's not going to have an outlet for screaming. And I, it's a part of me feels bad for him about that. I love that question, Doug. You, Doug, you get the show. Okay, next question comes from Ian Armstrong at Strong Comedy on Twitter, who says, the NBA was the best league in creating ways to safely play games to finish their 2019-2020 season. What will the COVID protocols be for the season? Will it vary by state? Where this will be a bigger cluster than the NFL has been given the schedule and travel? Yeah, it's it's real. COVID's going to impact the season. Um, the league has, has laid out parameters for... Uh, spacing within stadiums, and uh, if te- if if certain luxury seats are are close enough to the court, there's a recent negative COVID test threshold. If teams are in, if pl- if fans are in suites, rather excuse me, if fans are in suites, there's going to be a, a capacity level and a COVID testing threshold they're going to have to pass to be there too. Um, each Local market gets to set its rules, much like the NFL. So the Blazers will not have fans in the stands, but it sounds like places like Oklahoma City will. Um, Joe Lacob in in San Francisco is going to fund a bunch of COVID tests to get fans in the stands so he can make some money. Is that righteous or disgusting capitalism? I'll let you be the judge. But in any case, COVID is going to impact the season. Um, it's just a, it's an inevitability. It's why the league is only releasing the first half of the schedule in one chunk. And then the second half of the schedule in the, after that, because they know there's going to be rescheduled dates. It's just an unavoidable, uh, our country went in this direction and the league is impacted by it. That's just the, the, that's just the reality of it. But regardless, the NBA has been, um, very, very much, they've been very aware of how, of the optics of being the league that doesn't get COVID. So if there is a way for them to prevent it other than just personal responsibility, which is kind of proven to not work, um, they'll certainly get there. They probably can't fund a, bu- a bubble and have 30 NBA teams play. Like that's not a, that's not realistic, but if there are solutions, the league will, the league will, will, spend to get there because it is very important for Adam Silver optically to say we are the safe league TM 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 so you know hopefully it's it's not impacted this Blazers season is going to be fun it would be a real bummer if sort of extracurricular stuff if 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 the universe that impacts all of us also impacted the basketball team that we enjoy watching that's Mailbag Monday like I said we do this every week if you want to get involved tweet at me at Mike G Rich or email the show, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. We'll hear from Neil Olshay later this week, a podcast that's going to go up on Wednesday. Blazers are also introducing new players, Robert Covington, Derek Jones Jr. Probably eventually Carmelo Anthony will sign a contract. Can't imagine he does a press conference, but maybe he will. He's good with the media. He's a friendly fellow, so maybe he will. Uh, I'll bring you audio from all of that this week. Neil on Wednesday, players later in the week. Check your feeds. Tell your friends they can... Find this podcast wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.